0: Those are great questions to ask every single one of us as we wrap up our series on this incredible church in the first century that we've been studying in the book of Acts. You've been studying them in your life groups. We've been preaching through this, this body, this community of faith that left an incredible legacy behind it. Do you realize that the church at Antioch, the legacy that it left behind is you? That it had a heart, as we'll see today, that the gospel would not be contained simply within the community of faith, but each individual and the church as a whole said, We desire for that gospel to reach out. And as a result, you and I, you and I are the legacy. Of the church of Antioch and even though it's thousands of miles away and even though it's thousands of years in the past its legacy still lives on because it's based on some eternal principles and eternal things that we want to see today and to help me today with this theme of legacy we have a very dear friend of mine a dear brother a friend of yours a dear brother this is Travis Kearns and Travis is uh, flew in last night from Salt Lake City he texted me well, I don't know what time was it, Travis, probably eight, nine o'clock. Something and like that. Getting nope. on a plane in Chicago, I was like, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? He got in about 1.30 last night. So when I saw him this morning, Salt Lake City is two hours behind yep. us. So when I walked in the green room and I saw him this morning, I said, Travis, do you have any, t- any idea what time it is? And he just said, no, I have no clue. <laughs> so we are glad that he made it in last night. He's here, but Travis is the lead coordinator for our mission efforts to plant churches as Southern Baptist in Salt Lake City Utah and he is doing a phenomenal job there and we've been over there and you have been over there some of you have served on teams and God is just doing an amazing work of multiplying churches there we were there just uh, not too long ago to hear the report and uh, but Travis has a has an incredible story uh, about legacy that I want him to share about someone that he loves very very much and someone, and really some ones who have come to faith in Christ because of this person. So, Travis, welcome to Taylor's. Welcome home. Stacy, Jeremiah, welcome home. And uh, why don't you just share with us?
1: Yeah, the first thing I want to share is, is a big thank you to Taylor's. This is the family where I grew up. Some of you may remember like I do when this was a parking lot. I can remember sitting, eating peanut butter crackers and vanilla ice cream cups over here, just outside what used to be the the children's facility here for VBS and for Triple T and then work Triple T and the whole bit grew up here. And then when I went to college, I went to North Greenville and received the Taylor's Foundation Scholarship through college and through masters and PhD work at seminary. So it's a big thank you, I want to say and make sure you understand that the legacy of you as a church lives on in students and guys just like me all over the world serving everywhere. So we were, uh, Stacey and I and Jeremiah were in Louisville, Kentucky. We lived there from 2001 to 2013, and during that time, we were really struggling with what we were doing there. I did a master's degree and PhD at Southern Seminary and then taught there for about 10 years, and we were just kind of restless as we were in Louisville. It never really felt like home to us. Maybe some of you have been in a situation like that. And one October night in 2012, on a Saturday night, I was doing what any good South Carolinian would do, and that is watch football. (laughs) watching football and my cell phone rings, and it was the president of the North American Mission Board who was our pastor in Louisville for a few years, Kevin Ezel, and he said, hey, I've got a a position in Salt Lake City I'd, I'd love for you to serve in. Kevin knew because he was our pastor that I had a deep love and interest in Mormonism. I've been studying that group since January of 1996. In fact, all of my undergraduate work and master's work and doctoral work was all focused on Mormonism. I'm a self-professed Mormon nerd. <laughs> A lot of people ask me now, are you Mormon? No, I'm Baptist-born and baptist (laughs) bred, and when I die, I'm a (laughs) Baptist-dead. So he he said, hey, would you want to come and serve in Salt Lake? And I just immediately responded, well, yeah, is the Pope Catholic? And Kevin said, I don't don't understand that. He's from (laughs) Kentucky. He's a little slow. And I said, Kevin, that means yes, yes, I'd love to go. So we visited Salt Lake with Stacy and Jeremiah a few months afterwards, and then July of 2013, we moved our family 2,000 miles west of Salt Lake City. It's the most beautiful city you'll ever see in your life, but it's also the most ugly city you'll ever see in your life because our state is 98% lost. 98 out of every 100 people are not Christian. Every day in Utah, 54 people die, and 53 of them die lost. So it's a beautiful place, but it's also very ugly. And one of the ugly factors that we discovered about living on the mission field is the way that spiritual warfare impacts you personally and can impact your family. Spiritual warfare manifested itself very significantly in our lives. In October of 2013, we found out three days after my mom's 65th birthday that she was diagnosed with cancer. Now interestingly, that tumor started growing in October of 2012 when we got our first call from the North American Mission Board. Seven weeks later, she lost her battle with pancreatic cancer. Now, you might say, well, man, I, that spiritual warfare, that's serious stuff. I don't, don't want to go to the mission field. And I know Taylor's has got a big push. Jeremy's doing a great job pushing you to do more with missions. And Paul's doing a great job to push you to do that. And You might say, well, I, I'm not interested in doing that if I'm going to lose a family member or close friend or something. Let me tell you something, folks. Jesus is worth it. Now here's how he's worth it. Here's the good part of the story. We were here all through November and December and part of January of 2013 and 14 and I had people ask me, are you really gonna go back to Salt Lake City? You just, you lost your mom. I believe very strongly because we're in Salt Lake. You lost your mom because you're in Salt Lake and I said, yeah, Satan just made me mad. You're right, we're going back. So the summer comes of 2014, and we're doing a block party in our small town. One of our church plants was doing a block party in a town of Harriman, which is where Stacy and Jeremiah and I live in the southwestern corner of Salt Lake Valley. 35,000 people, and it's 95% Mormon. Our subdivision has probably four or 500 houses in it, and we only know of about five or six Christian families in the whole subdivision. So when we walk out of our house, everybody around us is lost. How do you do missions, Jeremy and Harriman? You walk outside. That's all you have to do. Jeremy's been there, Paul's been there, others. So we're doing a block party and there's kids games and there's footballs being thrown, though it's Utah, so they're not real sure how to do that. (laughs) Throwing baseballs and frisbees and we got music going and there's a family sitting underneath a tree and they're asking some folks at the church plant some questions and they came over to get me because again, I'm the self-professed Mormon nerd said hey this family's got some questions could you go answer them I walk over there to them and it's I find out later it's a couple named Shane and Dixie Wise and when I met them I discovered something very quickly I discovered that these are the angriest people I've ever met I've met Gamecocks during football season so I know what angry people are easy easy Gamecocks tied too so easy all in (laughs) So I start talking to them, and the first thing that Dixie says to me is not hello or anything like that. She says, I have two questions. I mean, just angry. I wanted to say, hi, I'm Travis. How are you? I said, okay, what are your two questions? She said, I want to know about the priesthood, and I want to know about temples. Go. Two big questions in Mormonism. And I answered about three or four minutes, and she said, okay, we're done. What's next? I said, I'm sorry. I'm from South Carolina. I'm slow. What do you mean we're done, what's next? She said, okay, we were LDS Mormons for 44 years. Shane is a fourth generation Mormon, I'm a fourth generation Mormon. They have pioneer heritage. Their great grandparents walked across the plains of the United States with Brigham Young. She said, we were both in 44 years. We don't wanna be anymore, what do we do now? We shared the gospel with them and they got saved. That night, it's gonna get better. <laughs> That night, Shane and Dixie led their son, Brendan and their daughter, Lauren to Christ. And a few months later, we got to baptize Shane and Dixie and then Shane baptized his son and daughter. And now they've been Christians about 14 or 15 months. And in the span of 14 or 15 months, Shane has led a number of his family members out of Mormonism to Christianity because he's so excited about the gospel. His father and stepmother, his mother and stepfather, his brother and sister-in-law and their family, and sister and brother-in-law and their family. And now the sister-in-law and brother-in-law are working on their families. In the span of 15 months, there's possibly three generations of brand new Christians because he's so excited about the gospel. I know a lot of you here have been Christians your entire life. You can get excited about football or about NASCAR, or about basketball or about whatever's going on, but when it comes to Jesus, we're dead as a doornail. We have to get excited about Jesus. It's worth it. So Shane is a salesman, and he got a job with Michelin. A lot of you know they've got a big facility here. So he came here to train. He was here for about 10 weeks just over the last few months. And Shane called me one Saturday night. It was great. I've never gotten a call like this ever. I've been in ministry almost 20 years, and I've, Paul, I've never gotten a call like this. I loved it, though. Shane said, hey, I want to visit Taylors in the morning. When do they meet? Nine and 1030. So there's more than one service? Yeah. Then Shane says could I go to more than one service? (laughs) I'm like, yeah. They won't mind? No. (laughs) He said, you can go to all three if you can be in two places at one time. So Shane comes and he loves it. You have to understand what it's like for a guy who grew up in Blackfoot, Idaho, and his wife is from Idaho Falls, Idaho, and grew up LDS in congregations of 500 or less to come into a place like this where even for Stacy and Jeremiah and I, we've not been in a room with this many Christians at one time since last December when we were here. In fact, we've not been in a room with this many Christians, even 20% this number, since last time we were here. Our largest church in Utah and Idaho runs 400 on Sunday morning. So Shane's here and he's all excited and he's pumped up and he knew the story about my mom because Shane and I have gotten to be very close. And he asked Jeremy hey, could I go down to the graveyard where my mom is buried and visit Travis's mother's grave? So they went down there and Shane took some flowers down there and put them in her grave. And he knelt down, he started rubbing the ground, and he just said, thank you. Thank you. And then he prayed and he said, God, thank you for a mother who would pour into her son and allow him to go 2,000 miles west so that my family could live. I never had peace about my mom's death until that day and it was just a few months ago. Stacy and I were doing what we do and Jeremiah and I were doing every Sunday what we do after church, we go hiking somewhere and I get a text from Jeremy and it's telling me this story and I start crying like a baby Stacy's driving. She, What's wrong? What's wrong? We had to pull over. <laughs> I got peace about her death that day because I realized from her death came life. She was willing to pour into me, and you as a church willing to pour into me so then that we could go and providentially, through the Holy Spirit, pour into Shane and Dixie Wise and Brendan and Lauren. And now Shane and Dixie are so happy. They're the most intoxicatingly happy Christians you'll ever meet. In fact, they're irritatingly happy. (laughs) He never frowns. I wanna kick him in the leg just so he'll frown one time. I'm not suggesting that, not a good method of evangelism. But I wanna tell you something, Taylors. Legacy is important. Reaching your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers is important. Why? Because when you die, Jesus will say to you, what did you do with me? How did you share me with others? I want to encourage you. If you can get excited about anything at all, get excited about Jesus. It's okay as a don't tell anybody now, it's okay as a Baptist to be excited. (laughs) David danced. Get excited, love your family, love your friends, love your neighbors, love your coworkers, and share Jesus with them. Be sold out for the gospel and be spent for the gospel. Thank you, Taylor's family. Thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Will you you pray with me
0: right now? Father, we love this brother and... Uh, We love his passion and his heart for the gospel getting to a place where it is very, very dark and very lost. And so now as he comes home, Lord, we pray for him that he would get the, the rest he needs. I pray for his family time, for him and Stacy as they are here this week, that they would be encouraged and strengthened and then sent back out to lead the charge. And Father, would you walk with them? just as you did with moses and just as you did with joshua just as you did with your prophets and with your people will you walk with them and lord bring many more chains to christ for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the great name of jesus whose name we pray amen, and amen. God bless you, brother. i love that story when uh, jeremy and travis related that to me the story of legacy and it has always hung with me, and as we come to legacy and the church at Antioch, this question is rattled around in my, in my mind. What will determine the legacy of a people and of a church? What will determine the impact long, before, long after we are gone of us as individuals and of this place called Taylor's, well after I'm gone well after you're gone, well after we're in the grave. What will determine, like Antioch, it having a legacy that will last forever and have the kind of impact that we see here today because of an incredible church? I think there are two things, two things this morning. Number one, I think a legacy of a people and of a church is determined by whether or not the people are shaped by the gospel. Shaped by the gospel acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. We just want to look at three verses this morning four verses And what I want to do for you is give you a heart set and a mindset Then I want to give you an action on behalf of the people of Antioch, and then we're going to commit together And I think the very first thing that the people of Antioch have is a Mindset a heart set an attitude that is shaped by the gospel and in Acts chapter 13 What we find here are some teachers that are listed out, and there is some sort of service. There's some sort of uh, worship time happening in the church. Read it with me, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, What this indicates to me is that there is this incredible body that has been gathered that is being led by an incredibly diverse group of people, and the people now, over time, are being shaped by the gospel, being shaped by the the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy and the power that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what we have are people in Antioch who are different than the people in Jerusalem. This church is a church that has been shaped by Jews and Gentiles, by those who are very religious and by those who are very pagan. And what you have is this incredible community that has been formed together by the gospel. And these people are being shaped by it. They're being shaped by the persecution and by the suffering that sent them from Jerusalem, spread them out to different parts of the earth. They come to Antioch and through their suffering and their persecution, that doesn't stop them. They share the gospel with Jews and they share it with Gentiles. And for the first time in the scriptures, we see this incredibly diverse body under one roof gathered together and made into this unified, worshiping, giving, sending machine called the church at Antioch. But you see, these people, they're continually under the submissive authority of the Spirit, whether it's they're under persecution or whether that they're reaching across Jewish lines and across Gentile lines or, or whether when Agabus comes in, as we saw last week, and says to them, listen, there's going to be this famine and we need your money. And the people, shaped by the gospel, give generously to meet the needs of, of people who are far, far away, who are not like them. And then we see these leaders. I love this list of leaders. Here's what we can learn from just understanding who is leading the church. You have Barnabas, who's from this island called Cyprus, there off the coast of Judea, there in the Mediterranean Sea. You've got, you've got Lucius and you've got Simeon, who are from North Africa. And then you've got this Menaean character we don't know a whole lot about him but the language in there seems to indicate that he is connected with herod the king that he perhaps was someone who was brought up either in the same household or he was his family was connected to the royal family to herod the king and so you've got this you've got this group this collection of teachers and prophets who are leading this incredibly diverse body of people who who are being shaped by the gospel together despite their differences and then you've got Saul who is at the height of Jewish thinking at the height of Jewish zeal to preserve the Jewish faith and God turns his life around. He becomes a follower of Jesus and you got all these people together and it would seem that their differences perhaps could keep them apart but they are a people as we've seen over six weeks who are submissive to the Holy Spirit. They are unified together and they are willing and flexible and broken enough for the sake of the gospel that the gospel is going to work in them and shape them ultimately so the gospel can be sent out to other people. It's an amazing group of people. And I would just say this, church. In order for us to be spent for the gospel, we we heard Scott say it, We we heard Travis say it, we heard it in the words of Jesus about taking up your cross and following me. There is a cost to legacy. There is no legacy without death. You realize that? That's what legacy is. There's a dying, and from that death comes life. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus did for you and me. And I would say before we even begin to think about the cost of the gospel, and some of you are here already. Some of you are here. All of us need to consider whether our lives daily are being shaped by the gospel, whether or not our hearts are submissive before God and before his grace and before his mercy. Here's a word that comes to mind that we don't see in the church very often. It is the word brokenness. Is there a brokenness among the people of God that submits to the Spirit of God and the gospel and fights in our brokenness, in our weakness, that fights against what we think church should be, or what religion should be, or what my existence as a follower of Jesus should be? Is there such a brokenness in us shaped by the gospel that we're willing to abandon and say, God, whatever you desire to do in me, will you do it? If I'm a member of this church, if I come to this body, are you, I'll just ask it, are you a person who is continually being broken before God? To allow him to work in you what he desires to work in you for your good and for the glory of Christ through this place. Or is there a spirit, name it, whatever it is with me at the center, whether it's pride or arrogance or apathy, or whether we're just culturally swept away. This is is church life. We're culturally just swept away by this consumer individualistic mindset. I've seen it for five years here. It's only growing worse where the church is here to meet my needs versus I am broken for Christ and his gospel to use me to do what these banners to my left and right say to reach other people. This is why the church exists. The church doesn't exist for you, my dear friends. The church exists for the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ to make more worshipers and to get the gospel to where it is not. That's why the church exists. And it doesn't happen unless every single person in this room, pastor included, says, God, will you shape me by your gospel? And that's the first step. I've had to do it this week. It's hard <laughs> to submit. <laughs> oh, it's hard. But there is no legacy without being shaped by the gospels of the church at Antioch. Here, here's the second thing then, then, watch what they do. The Holy Spirit says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, with the Holy Spirit spoke to us verbally today. Wouldn't that be amazing? But he does speak, and perhaps he's speaking to your heart right now. What if the Holy Spirit said to us something that he says to, Bar- to, to the church at Antioch about releasing and about being spent for the gospel? Look at what happens. They're worshiping the Lord, and they're fasting. So this is going on over a period of time, and the Holy Spirit says, here's what I want you to do, church. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. So here's what brokenness and being shaped by the gospel leads us to. It leads to being spent for the gospel. Just two things, shaped by the gospel, spent for the gospel. And so the Holy Spirit says, here's Barnabas and Saul. I I don't want to read too much into this, but Barnabas is the first name listed. Saul is the last name listed in that list. I don't know why Luke, dear friend of Paul's, traveling companion, wrote it that way, but maybe it's because Barnabas was the leader of the church, there's no senior pastor listed, there's no, 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 no. Uh no founding pastor listed. Barnabas comes down from Jerusalem. The church is up and running. Here comes Barnabas. He's a man of great faith and full of grace and the Holy Spirit. He seems to be the, kind of the leader of the church. He goes and gets Paul. He sets up the teaching time, the disciple-making time there in the church. So you've got Barnabas coming in, but then you've got Saul on the tail end. And if Barnabas is the encourager and the strengthener and the builder of the church, Paul is the one who is going to say to the churches, Church, we're going. We're going to get the gospel out of here. Now, the church at Antioch is already doing this because it is there in Antioch that they are first called Christians. Acts chapter 11. But here you have these two pillars of the church, these two leaders of the church, and the church doesn't say, don't touch my leaders. The church doesn't say, "No, no, 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 no. There are key to church growth here. Um, No, no, no! Oh, wait! No. Do you know how valuable these people are to the ministry here? What do they say? They release, go. This is what happens when you're shaped by the gospel. You release, you go. That's what they do. They send them, and they they say whatever it takes for the gospel to get out, and they send them on the first missionary journey. They didn't have a REACH conference. They didn't have a missions conference of any kind that we know of. They simply said, you go and get the gospel to the ends of the earth. If, that, if that's what the Holy Spirit's saying, that's what we will do. But there's a cost involved to the church. They lose Barnabas. They lose Saul. There's always a cost in following Christ. There's always a cost in getting the gospel out. There is no legacy without death and a cost. And this point hit home again you Knowing Travis was coming, and as I think of um, Haley Dean, Becky was here at the first service. Becky, you here again? Bless your heart, you're here for two service. You had to hear this two times, Miss Becky. Becky Dean is the is the um, wife of Mike Dean, and um, Mike and Becky have Big Mike and little Haley, <laughs> and uh, they came to t- Taylor's First Baptist Church when uh, Haley was in the fifth grade. I know all this because I sat and I watched the video again of Haley this past week. I asked our guys where we saw that video, and I jump in there and I'm, I'm sitting in my office. I think it was Friday afternoon, and I'm watching this video, Becky, of Haley in the chapel sharing about being shaped by the gospel is a beautiful story she's got a sweet countenance and she was over in the chapel filming that she's talking about how she came to Christ when uh, at vacation Bible school and that she grew up here and her dad uh, was exposed to missions went on a mission trip and um, when she was 14 she said her dad took her on a mission trip to the Lord to the orphanage there in Brazil and that's where the gospel and her desire to go overseas began to be birthed. And you just see this heart being shaped by the gospel, just a brokenness and a submissiveness. And Campus Crusade for Christ had a huge impact on her life. And uh, there in college, and, and then hearing the call to missions, um, she was just captured by this. And, and so as she is sitting there sharing that on video, um, I just started to cry because back then her dad was still alive, he was very, very sick. But to watch that video of her with the heart being shaped by the gospel, to be spent for the gospel, and then knowing her dad was going to die, but yet she was still willing to go. And now Mm -hmm. she's over in the Middle East, we're going to see Nemo, our people group in just a second, beautiful video she is there she is studying a language and she's given her life she's being spent for the gospel but here's the legacy part of that when Mike Dean was in the hospital I remember Jeremy and I we go up to the hospital to see him and Jeremy said that phrase we've been using a little bit today because we didn't know if, if if Haley should go, should she stay? Becky, and Mike are thinking through that. What do we do? Is, and, and, and so, really, in those last weeks, Jeremy just looks to looks and says, "There's always a cost. There's always a cost." I said, "There is." And um, so, going to Mike's room. It was Friday, October the second. Wrote it down in my journal. Sitting in the Greenville Memorial parking lot. After I get done with this story, I'm about to tell you, and I sit down and just begin to write. Friday, October second. I walked into his hospital room. He's got this great personality. He's got this. This is bigger than life. And and um, even as he was nearing death, he he just um, he looks at me and he goes, "All right." He goes, "Tell me, what is Jesus supposed to be teaching me in all of this?" I'm like, "You're kidding me, Mike Greer." You're, t- you're wanting me to share with you what Jesus is teaching you. While you are here, you are teaching me everything I need to know. But you're asking me that. So I paused, I hemmed, I awed, I waited. And I said, okay, here's, here, here's what I think. I said, um, number one, I say, as you're suffering, worried about your daughter, going through this, worried about your son, worried about your wife, if you are suffering, know this, that when you suffer for the sake of the gospel, you are never more closer to Jesus than when you go through that. Because, because Paul said that I may know him and the power of his sufferings, and the power of his resurrection, that I may know him. If you are suffering here this morning for the sake of the gospel, not because you've done something wrong, but if you are suffering here and you're enduring and you're trying with all of your might to live for the gospel, and if you hear the word from Jesus this morning, he wants to know you and love you deeper during this time, and you will know him. And I looked at him and I said, Mike, I don't know about you, but you're going to know Jesus more deeper because of this, and that is sweet. And I said, um, Mike, Here's the other thing. I've watched you minister. I've heard about you ministering to people as you are spent for the gospel. I've watched these nurses. I've heard the stories. Becky told me the story of nurses that have been influenced by you as you pray for them. He had a friend come in, a friend of Mike's, and his friend comes in and um, I just kind of stepped back, and they were just loving one another. And um, he looks at this friend of Mike's, and he just says to him, listen, listen, he loved on him. It was, it was beautiful how he did. He loved on him, but then he looks at him, and he goes, he goes listen, you, you one day are going to meet your maker, and everything about the scripture is true, and everything about the gospel is true. The miracles, I remember he said, the miracles are true. He just kept saying that. It's true. It's true. It's true. And when we're spent for the gospel, we have incredible impact on people. I said, Mike, your impact's unbelievable. Here's the third thing. I said, you're sending your daughter well. She's going to go. She's going to leave you. You're going to leave us but you're sending her well. You're showing me how to be spent for the gospel. It was powerful just to hear him and just to watch him and just to communicate with him. And there's always a cost to be spent for the gospel. Now, you might say, why are you telling us all these stories? It's like we're living in a (laughs) graveyard. We're living in the cemetery today. Here's why. Because if we want to have a legacy for the gospel, it's going to cost us something. It just doesn't happen because we have a spirit, a mindset that bucks up against the gospel of individualism or consumerism. It's going to cost us something. And I would just encourage every single one of you to ask yourself this question as we are going to see a video in just a minute about Nemo. What will you give for the sake of reaching people? Um, This video, this is where Haley is. It's a beautifully well done picture of lostness. And here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to understand is that we're gonna have a commitment time in just a second and I'll lead you through this. But here's what I want you to hear. Yes, we want some of you to go on mission this year 271 slots available we want some of you to go and we we want some of you to 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 reach others but it's going to take all of us shaped by the gospel in order to see lostness penetrated and reached so when you see this video i want you to see the ends of the earth I want you to look at those people. I want you to look at those young men. I want you to look at those ladies that are on the screen, that people group. I want you to think of them. Not one single believer that we know of, not one single Jesus follower. That's why we do what we do. This church exists for the glory of God in making disciples here and around the world. I want you to watch those people. But then I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of lostness, not just way over there, because you might say there's no way I'm going over there and God hasn't called me to do that, and that's fine. But I want you to think of lostness way over there. I want you to think of lostness right here, right here as well. Tonight, six o'clock, we have a prayer service. It's going to be incredible. Six or seven churches, different churches, some predominantly African American, one predominantly Hispanic. Some just good old Baptist southerners, right? We're going to pray. We're going to worship. And we are going to call upon God. God, we not only want to reach the ends of the earth, but we also want to reach right here at the end of the street. You come out and join us tonight as we pray and we seek the Holy Spirit to transform us. But watch this video because this is why we do what we do. Not only there, but right here as well.
2: We wanted to find a people group that was unreached and unengaged. We wanted to find these people where they are, locate them, and we wanted to engage them with the gospel. We started looking, and the Lord led us to this group. It's in the Arabian Peninsula. The area is a desert. The people are sparse, and and they're nomadic. We've made four trips over. We've been encouraging a young couple that is there. We had a young lady from our church who felt called to go there. And her along with another young lady she met are both on the ground now. And all the people they've engaged have been because of the trips that Taylor's has made there. to engage people. These are people who have no one in front of them delivering the gospel to them. Because we are a a first century church like Antioch where we're sending people out to proclaim Jesus Christ, uh, they are engaged.
0: I love how Les led us through that progression of not engaged now they're engaged. Not engaged means no one's even trying to get the gospel to them. Now we're trying. You know what the next step is? Someone raising their hand to follow Jesus. It's going to be because of you. It's going to be because of God's grace being poured in through you. And We want to see that happen all over the world, all over this community. How do we do it? We, we, jo- we join in together and commitment together if you pull out your card here i just want to lead you through this now we enter into a time where we're going to give our tithes we're going to give our offerings we're going to give our commitment we're going to give our lives to christ together 40 days of prayer and commitment the reason we label this 40 days is because tomorrow when you wake up you get up tomorrow you got 40 days till january 1 of 2016 how does that make you feel So we said for 40 days, we are gonna pray and ask God to do something as we end our year to bring spiritual awakening to our church. I want you to check that box if you're so willing to pray with me daily. I'll do it every morning with you. Holy Spirit, transform my heart, transform the heart of this church and transform this community that we call Tailors. We'll see this this evening as well. Some of you might need to make a commitment become a follower of christ some of you've been coming you've been hearing the gospel you've been hearing about jesus and his great love for you now's the time to take a step of faith and it might be easy for you to check a box put your name your email down we'll follow up with you and we get to share the love of christ with you or maybe to become a member some of you've been regular attenders for a while now it's time to make a commitment become part of this body commitment to innovative ministry we highlighted the foster care ministry the adoption Ministry here, Mission 127 and the goal of reaching hundreds upon hundreds of foster kids and those that need adoption in the upstate. We wanted to keep that in front of you. But maybe as you go through this REACH booklet today or this week's incredible resource, there's some ministries in here, ministries locally that you might say, you know what, that's different, that's unique. We've been showing you videos of these ministries and you might say, that's it. I'm ready to give my life to something different or commitment to produce disciples as we saw Antioch was a church that was producing disciple makers and leaders and for some of you you're not connected to a group of any kind for some of you you're just you're just kind of lost you come in you come out you're not connected maybe some of you are part of a life group and you've heard me over these past few weeks and months say hey there's something deeper maybe there's something that you can dive into to with other people and maybe you're ready to take a step where you say that's it I'm ready I want to connect to a group in a new way or maybe lead a group some of you are leaders here and some of you haven't been leading time for you to step up and time to take some men or take some women and just make disciples commitment to generosity we spent time on this last week some of you don't give a cent to the church And um, 38%, four out of ten people, think about that, four out of every ten of us here at Taylor's don't give a single cent to the work of the kingdom through here, the work of reaching people, the work of ministry here. I would just simply say, maybe the call out, the cost for you is to say, I got it, I'm going to start giving. Maybe some to to begin giving sacrificially through the end of the year. Check the box there. This is our reach offering. We have envelopes right here. Our goal is $135,000, and every single cent will be used to send the Mike and the Haley Deans, to send people to Salt Lake City, to send people to Prague, to send people to Boston, to send students on trips. Every single cent will go to reduce the cost of people who are going, every penny. So we ask you today to give for the next 40 days. This is your envelope right here. Again, we have those here. or You can just write reach on your check. We know what that means. And then to give sacrificially through the end of the year. I've had people ask me, you said, you made a comment last week where you said there's, there's this deficit, this gap between what is going out and what's coming in. We're behind. And I said, yeah. And they said, explain the comment about the $65. What did you mean by that? Here, here's what I meant. We, we have a deficit and if every individual or every member rather of Taylor's gave $65, a one-time $65 gift between now and the end of the year, that deficit goes away. So that means for me and Sheree, that's $130, $65 apiece. We have two kids that are members here. That's another $130. So Sheree and I are committing. I'll commit you publicly, $260. We are going to give at least between now and the end of the year to say sacrificially. That's what we can do. So some of you could do that. It's, it's simple. It's just a way for us to be shaped by the gospel continually, to be spent for the gospel. These are tangible ways. And then finally. Pack your suitcase or pack your house. This reach brochure, all of our trips. You might say, hey, I want more information. There's gonna be information meetings coming. Name, email, phone number here, we'll get back to you. I wanna go, 271 slots available. We wanna fill every single one. And then pack your house. Just like Travis and Stacey loaded up a truck to Louisville. Some of you are called to leave. Your time in Greenville is done. Your time at Taylor's is over because God has an assignment for you and we get the joy of sending you to that kingdom assignment. And some of you have been praying and thinking through other cities what a joy it would be. It would be bittersweet, but ultimately deep down joy to say, go, go for the kingdom of God. Put your name, email, phone number down. We'll follow up with you. But thank you. It was a beautiful sight this morning as the congregation came and we gave. This is our act of worship. So this time, as soon as I say amen, I want you to, to rise up, church. There's uh, trunks, two to, to, up uh, top, three down here. So spread yourselves out. Maybe take your time. There'll be a lot of folks coming up. But this, as you see the body of Christ, is the body of Christ saying, we want to leave a legacy. And we'll give and we'll do whatever it takes for this legacy. The Holy Spirit's working on you in order to reach, take the gospel as far as it will go. Will you pray with me? And then will you commit? Will you worship Jesus as you give? Father, this is your church. This is your church. This is Jesus' church. He, He died for this place to shape this place into his image. So will you shape us, but then will you spend us just as Christ was spent? Whatever it is that we're holding on to, whatever it is that we won't release, like the church of Antioch, will we let it go for the sake of the kingdom? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So Father, hear my prayer, hear our prayer for the sake of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.